Chapter Nineteen of the Wonderful Adventures of Fra the Phoenician by Edwin Lester Arnold. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I slept all that night in a deep, unbroken slumber, waking with the first glimpse of morning, calm and refreshed, but very sleepily perplexed at my surroundings. It was only after long cogitations that the thread of my coming hither took form and shape when at last i had examined myself in my antecedents and reduced them to the melancholy present i got up and looked from the window a fair tract of country lay outside deep wooded and undulating with pastoral meadows in between the hangers and beyond in the open that streamlet whose prattle had been heard the night before lay spread into a broad rushy tarn overgrown with green weeds and water things and then running on through the flat soft meadows of the hollow where the house was built wound into the far distance where it joined something that shone in the low white light like the gleam of a broader river it was not a cheerful morning for it had rained much and the chilly mist hung low and still about these sombre wooded thickets and the long grass between them the sleepy rooks in the nests upon the bare tree-tops were later to wing than usual cawing melancholy from the sodden boughs as though loath to leave them and down below nothing sang or moved but the dark black merle fluttering along the covert side and the mavis turning a plaintive and uncertain note from off the wet fir tops when i had stared my full and learnt little from the outlook i donned those clothes that i had borrowed and they were a happy choice they fitted me like a lady's glove and as i laced and hooked and belted them before a yellow mirror let into the black panel of my chamber door i could not but feel that they looked a goodly fashion for one of my make and build i had not seemed so stalwart and so sleek so straight in limb and broad in shoulder since i was a saxon thane then i belted on that pretty sword round my nicely tapering middle and ran my fingers through my black eastern locks arranging them trimly inside my high-standing frill and took another look or two into the glass and then with a derisive smile a little scornful at the secret pleasure those fine feathers gave me i went forth surely never did mortal mason build such a house before the deepest densest forest path that ever my hunter's foot had trodden was simple to those mazes of curly stairs and dim passages and wooden alleys that led by tedious ways to nothing and creaking rotten steps that beguiled the wanderer by sinuous repetitions from desolate wing to wing and flight to flight and all the time that i wrestled with those labyrinthine mazes in the struggle to reach latitudes i knew not a sign could i see of my host nor a whisper could i catch of human voice or familiar sound in that dusty desolate wilderness such an impenetrable stagnation hung over that empty habitation that the crow of a distant cock or the yelp of a village cur would have been a blessed interruption but neither broke the vault-like solemn stillness from room to room i went opening countless doors at random all leading into spacious mouldy chambers bare and tenantless feeling my way by damp neglected wall and dangerous broken floorings to endless cobwebbed windows 
unbarring wooden casements and letting in the watery light that only made the inner desolation more ghostly conspicuous but nothing human could i find nor any prospect but that same one i had seen before of damp woodlands and marshy water meadows out beyond perhaps for half an hour had i adventured thus hopelessly lost in the dusty bowels of that stupendous building and then just as i was near despairing of an exit and meditating a leap from a casement on to the stony terraces below opening one final door that might well have been but a household cupboard for the storing of linen and raiment there at my feet was the great main staircase leading by many a turn and staging to the central hall below i put with the point of my sword a cross upon the outside of that cupboard door so that i might know it again if need be and then descended had you seen me coming down those tudor steps in that tudor finery my hand upon the hilt of my long steel rapier perked behind me my great ruffle and my curled moustache my strong soldier limbs squeezed into those sweet-fitting satin hose and sleeves so stern and grim so lonely and silent in the white glimmer of the morning shine that came from distant lattice and painted oriel you well might have thought me scarcely flesh and blood some old tudor ancestor of that old tudor hall stepped from a painter's canvas just as he was in life and come with beatless feet to see what cheer his gross descendants made of it where he had once lived so noisy and so jolly down the steps i came and into the banquet hall empty and deserted like all else and so sauntered to the table-head where i had supped the evening before not one trace of humankind had i seen since the night and yet that little thing quite startled me the supper had been cleared away another napkin spread another plate put out with fruit and bread and a large beaker of good new milk stood by to flank them i stared hard at that simple seeming meal and could not comprehend it i was near sure the old man had not set it yet if he had why was there but one plate one place one chair one beaker was it meant for me or him what fingers had pulled that fruit or drawn that milk still warm from its source i would wait i thought and strolled off to the windows and down them all slowly in turn then back again to idly hum a favourite tune we had sung yesterday at crecy but still nothing came or stirred then i went into the hall and examined that trophy of weapons and tried them all and then unbarred the great door and went out upon the terrace there to dangle my satin legs over the balustrades during a long interval of gloomy speculation but not a leaf was moving not a sign or whisper could i see of that strange old fellow who had brought me hitherto and now did his duty by his guests so quaintly at last i went back to the dining-place and regarded that mysterious meal with fixed attention now this i thought is surely spread for me and if it is not then it should be the master of a house may get him food how and when he likes but the guest share is put ready to his hand i have waited a long hour and more the sun is high surely that learned pedant could not mean to belay his courtesy by starving a stranger visitor no it was certainly affectation to wait longer 
at the worst there must be more where these good things came from and being hungry and having thus appeased my conscience i clapped my sword upon the table and fell to work and in a short space had made a light though sufficient meal and cleared everything eatable completely from the table i was the better for it yet this strange solitude began to weigh upon me but a few hours since surely it was no more i had been in a busy camp bright with all the panoply of war active bustling and here why the white mist seemed creeping through me it was so damp and melancholy the tawny mildew of these walls seemed settling down upon my spirit jove i felt by comparison of what i had been and was already touched with the clammy rottenness of this place and slowly turning into a piece of crumbling lumber such as lay about on every hand a tarnished faded monument to a life that was bygone oh i could not stand the house and taking my cap and sword strolled down to the garden full of pensive thoughts morose uncaring and so out into the woods beyond and over hill and dale a long walk that set the stagnant blood flowing in my sleepy veins and did me tonic good leaving the hall where so strange a night had been spent i strode out strongly over hill and dale for mile after mile without a thought of where the path might lead i stalked on all day and came back in the evening yet the only thing worthy of note upon that round was a familiarness of scene a certain feeling of old acquaintance with plain and valley which possessed me when i had gone to the farthest limit of the walk at one hilltop i stopped and looked over a wide gently swelling plain of verdure with a grassy knoll or two in sight and woods and new wheat fields shining emerald in the april sunlight while far away the long clouds were lying steady over the dim shine of a distant sea i thought to myself surely i have seen all this before yonder knoll standing tall among the lesser ones why does it appeal so to me and that distant flash of water there among the misty woodlands a few miles to westward of it jove i could somehow have sworn there had been a river there even before i saw the shine some sense within me knows each swell and hollow of this fair country here and yet i know it not they were not my saxon glades that spread out beneath me and the distant stream swept round no such steep as that castled mount wherefrom i had set out for cressy i could not justify that spark of vague remembrance and long i sat and wondered how or when in a wide life i had seen that valley but fruitlessly yet fancy did not err though it was not for many days i knew it then after a time i turned homewards homeward was it well it was as much thitherward as any way i knew though indeed i marvelled as i went why my feet should turn so naturally back to that gloomy mansion peopled only by shadows and the smell of sad suggestions perhaps my mind just then was too inert to seek new roads and accepted the easiest after the manner of weak things as the inevitable be this as it may i went back that wet misty afternoon alone with my melancholy listlessness through the damp dripping woods and coppices where the dead ferns looked red as blood in the evening glow i was so heedless i lost my way once or twice and 
when at length the dead front of the old house glimmered out of the mist ahead the early night was setting in and that lank dejected garden those ruined terraces and hundred staring empty windows frowning down on the grave green courtyard stones seemed more forsaken more mournful looking even than it had the night before i found the front door ajar exactly as it was left and groping about presently discovered the tinder and steel i made a light and laughed a little bitterly to think how much indeed i was at home then in bravado and mockery unsheathed my sword and went from room to room in the gathering dusk stalking sullen and watchful with the gleam of light held above my head down each clammy corridor and vault-like chamber wrapped with my hilt on casement and panels and listening to the gloomy echo that rumbled down the ghoulish palace i pricked with my rapier point each swelling rotten curtain i punctured every ghostly swinging arras and stabbed the black shadows in a score of dim recesses but nothing i found until in one of these my sword-point struck something soft and yielding and sank in jove it startled me twas wondrous like a true good stab through flesh and bone and my fingers tightened upon the pummel and i sent the blade home through that yielding unseen something and a span deep into the rotten wall beyond then looked to see what i had got for twas but a woman's dress left on a rusty nail a splendid raiment once such as a noble girl might wear and a princess give padded and quilted wondrously with yards of stitching down the front wherefrom rude hands had torn gold filigree and pearl embroideries and where the wearer's heart had beat those rough fingers had left a faded rose still tied there by a love-knot on a strand of amber silk a lovely gown once on a time no doubt but now my sword had run it through and through from back to bosom lord how it smelt of dead rose and must and moth i shook it angrily from my weapon and left it there upon the rotten boards and went on with my quest but neither high nor low nor far nor near was there to be found the smallest trace of my host or any living mortal at last weary and wet and oppressed with those vast echoing solitudes i went back to the great hall passed all the untouched litter i had made in the morning and so to the banquet place i walked up the long black table set solemn with double rows of empty chairs and lit the lamp that stood at top it burnt up brightly in a minute and there beneath i saw the morning meal had been removed the supper napkin neatly laid and bread wine and cheese laid out afresh for one so unexpected was that neat array so quaint so out of keeping with the desolate mansion that i laughed aloud then paused for down in the great vaulty interior of that house the echo took my laughter up and the lone merriment sounded wicked and infernal in those soulless corridors well there was supper while i was tired and hungry i would not be balked of it though all hell were laughing outside in the vast empty grate i made a merry fire with some old broken chairs a jolly roaring blaze that curled about the mighty iron dogs as though glad to warm the chilly hearth again 
and went flaming and twisting up the spacious chimney in right gallant kind then i lifted the stopper of the wine-jar and finding it full of a good reenish vintage set to work to mull it i fetched a steel gorget from the trophy in the hall poured the liquor therein and put it by the blaze to warm and to make the drink the more complete i spit an apple on my rapier point and toasted the pippin by the embers thus making a wassail bowl of most superior sort i ate and drank and supped very pleasantly that evening while the strong wind whistled among the chimney-stacks and rattled with unearthly persistence upon the casements or opened and shut now soft now fiercely a score of creaking distant doors the spluttering rain came down upon the fire by which i sat in my quaint finery warming my tudor legs by that tudor blaze the tall spectral things of the garden beyond the curtainless windows nodded and bent before the storm loose strands of ivy beat gently upon the panes like the wet long fingers of ghostly vagrants imploring admission the water fell with measured beat upon the empty courtyard stones from broken gargoyle and spout like the fall of gently pattering feet and the strangest sobbing noises came from the hollow wainscoting of that strange old dwelling-place but do you think i feared i who had lived so long and known so much i who four times had seen the substantial world dissolve into nothing and had awoke to find a new earth born from the dusty ashes of the past i who had stalked four times the void air with all i loved i for whom the shadowy fields of the unknown were so thickly habited i to whom the teeming material world again was so unpeopled so visionary and desolate i mocked the wild gossip of the storm and grimly wove the infernal whispers of that place into the thread of my fancies hour by hour i sat and thought thought of all the rosy pictures of the past of all the bright beams of love i had seen shine for me in maiden eyes all the wild glitter and delight of twenty fiery combats all the joy and success all the sorrow and pleasure of my wondrous life and thus thought and thought until i wore out even the storm that went sighing away over the distant woodlands and the fire that died down to a handful of white ashes and the wine-pot that ran dry and empty with the last flames in the grate and then i took my sword and the taper and leaving the care of to-morrow to the coming sunrise went up the solemn staircase and threw myself upon the first dim couch in the first black chamber that i met with i threw myself upon a bed dressed as i was but could not sleep as soon as i wished indeed a heavy drowsiness possessed me and now i would dream for a minute or two and then start up and listen as some distant door was opened or to the quaint gusts that roamed about those corridors and seemed now and then to hold whispered conclave outside my door it was like a child i knew to be so restless but yet he who lives near to the unknown grows by nature watchful it did not seem possible i had fathomed all the mystery there was in that gloomy mansion and so i dozed and waked and wondered waiting in spite of myself for something more all in the deep shadow of my rotten bed hangings 
now speculating upon my host and why he tenanted such a life-forsaken cavern and ate and drank from ancient crockery and had store of mouldy finery and rusty weapons and then idly guessing who had last slept on this creaking sombre bed and why the pillow smelt so much of mouldiness and mildew or again listening to the wail of the expiring wind among the chimneys overhead and the dismal sodden drip of water falling somewhere perhaps i had amused myself like that an hour and it was as near as might be midnight the low white moon was just a glimpse over the sighing tree-tops in the wilderness outside i had been dozing lightly when on a sudden my soldier ear distinctly caught a footfall in the passage without and starting up on my elbow in the black shadow of the bed i gripped the hilt of the sword that lay along under the pillows and held my breath as slowly the door was opened wide and before my astounded eyes a tall dark figure entered it was all done so quietly that beyond the first footfall and the soft click of the lifting latch i do not think a sound broke the heavy stillness that between the two pauses of the wind reigned throughout the empty house very gently that dusky shadow by my portal shut the door behind and it might have been only the outer air that entered with him or something in that presence itself but a cold damp breath of air pervaded all the room as the latch fell back i did not fear and yet my heart set off a thumping against my ribs and my fingers tightened upon the fretted hilt of my toledo blade as that thing came slowly forward from the door and big and tall and so far indistinct stalked slowly to the bedfoot touching the post like one who in an uncertain light reassures him by the feel of well-known landmarks and so went round towards the latticed window i did not stir but held my breath and stared hard at that black form that all unconscious of my presence slowly sauntered to the light and took form and shape in a minute it was by the lattice and to my stern wondering awe there in the pale white moonshine looking down into the desolate garden beyond with melancholy steadfastness was the figure of a tall black spanish gallant in that white radiance against the ebony setting of the room he was limbed with extraordinary clearness indeed he was a great silver column now of stenciled brightness against the black void beyond and i could see every point and detail in his dress and features as though it were broad daylight he was or must i say he had been a tall slim man long-jointed and sparse after the manner of his nation and to-night he wore something like the fashion of the time black hose and shoes a black seeming waistcoat a loose outdoor hood above it a slouch cap a white ruffle and a broad black leather belt with a dagger dangling from it so much was ordinary about him but jove his face in that uncertain twilight was frightful it was cadaverous beyond expression and tawny and mean and all the shadows on it were black and strong and out of that dreary parchment mask making its lifelessness the more deadly by their glitter shone two restless sunken eyes 
he kept those yellow orbs turned upon the garden and then presently put up a hand and began stroking his small pointed beard still seeming lost in thought and next stretching out a finger and hoth what a wicked-looking talon it did seem the shape began drawing signs upon the mistiness of the diamond panes at the same time he began to mutter and there was something quaintly gruesome about those disconnected syllables in the midnight stillness yet though i leaned forward and peered and listened nothing could i learn of what he wrote or said he fascinated me i forgot to speak or act and could only regard with dumb wonder that outlined figure in the moonlight and the long dead face so dreadfully ashine with life so bewitched was i that had that vision turned and spoken i should have made the best shift to answer that were possible there was some tie i felt between him and me more than showed upon the surface of this chance meeting of ours something which even as i write i feel is not yet quite explained though i and that shadow now know each other well but instead of speaking that presence man or spirit from the outer spaces left off his scratching on the window and with a shrug of his spanish shoulders and a malediction in guttural bisque turned from the window-cell and walked across the room as he did so i noticed what had been invisible before in his left hand a canvas bag and by the shape and weight of it that bag seemed full of money i watched him as he stalked across the room watched him disappear into the shadow and then listened with every sense alert to the click of the latch and the creak of the door as he left my chamber by the opposite side to that whereat he entered as those faint ghostly footsteps died away slowly down the corridor my native sense came back and in a trice i was on foot dressed as i had lain me down and snatching my sword and cloak in a fever of expectation i ran over to the window and looked upon the writing it was figures figures and sums in ancient moorish arabesque and the long sharp nail marks of that hideous midnight mathematician were still pencilled clearly on the moonlit dew my blood was now coursing finely in my veins and hot and eager to see some more of this grim stranger i strode across the room and stepped out into the passage at first it seemed that he had gone completely for all was so still and silent but the white light outside was throwing squares of silver brightness from many narrow windows on the dusty floor and there he was in a moment crossing the farthest patch tall and silvery in that radiance with his long slim black legs his great ruffle and flapping cloak looking most wicked i went forward making as little noise as might be and seeing my ghostly friend every now and then until when we had traversed perhaps half that deserted mansion i lost him where three ways divided and went plunging and tripping forward striving to be as silent as i could though why i know not and making instead at every false step a noise that should have startled even ghostly ears but i was now well off the trail and nothing showed or answered it was black as hell in the shadows and white as day where the moonbeams slanted in from the orioles and through this chilly chequer i went 
feeling on by damp old walls and worm-eaten wainscoting slipping down crumbling stairs that were as rotten as the banisters which went to dust beneath my touch opening sullen oaken doors and peering down the dreary wastes within listening prying wondering but nowhere could i find that shadowy form again i followed the chase for many minutes far into a lonely desert wing of the old house then paused irresolute what was i to do i had my cloak upon one hand and my naked rapier was in the other but no light or any means of making one the vision had gone and i found now that the chase had ended and my blood began to tread a sober measure it was dank chilly and dismal in these black draughty corridors worse still i had lost all count and reckoning of where my bed had been and though that was small matter in such a house yet somehow i felt it were well to reach the vantage-ground of more familiar places wherein to wait the morning so as nearly as was possible i groped back upon my footsteps by tedious ways and empty chambers low in heart and angry now stopping to listen to the fitful moaning of the wind or the pattering rain-spots on the glass or some distant panels creaking in distant chambers half thinking that after all i had been a fool and cozened by some sleepy fancy and so i went back dejected and dispirited until presently i came to a gloomy arch in a long corridor tapestried across with heavy hangings unthinkingly i lifted them there as the curtains parted thirty paces off a bright moonlit doorway gently opened and into the light stepped that same black-browed foreigner again i did what any other would have done though it was not valiant stepped back against the niche and drew the tapestry folds about me and so hidden waited down he sauntered leisurely straight for my hiding-place and as he came there was full time to note every wrinkle and furrow on that sullen ashy face hoth he might have been a decent gentleman by daylight but in the nightshine he looked more like a weak dead corpse than aught else and with eyes glued to those twinkling eyes of his and abated breath and irresolute fingers hard set upon my pummel hilt i waited he came on without a pause or sign to show he knew that he was watched and as he crossed the last patch of light i saw the bag of gold was gone and the hand that had carried it was wrapped in a bloody handkerchief another minute and we were not a yard apart what good was valour there i thought what good were weapons or courage against the malignity of such an infernal shadow i held back while he passed and in a minute it was too late to stop him yet i could follow and half ashamed of that moment's weakness and with my courage budding up again i started from my hiding-place and brandishing my rapier my cloak curled on my other arm as though i went to meet some famous fencer i ran after the spaniard and now he heard me and with one swift look over his shoulder and a startled guttural cry set off down the passage from light to light he flashed and shadow to shadow i hot after him my courage rampant now again 
and all the bitterness and disappointment of the last few days nerving my heart until i felt i could exchange a thrust or two with the black arch-fiend himself twas a brief chase at the bottom of the corridor stood a solid oak partition i had him safe enough i saw him come to that black barrier and hesitate whereon i shouted fiercely and leapt forward and in another minute i was there where he had been and the corridor was empty and the panelled partition was doorless and unmoved and not a sound broke the stillness of that old house save my own angry cry that the hollow echoes were bandying about from ghostly room to room and corridor to empty corridor End of chapter 19